Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Mother's Day. So one of the, uh, the biggest days of the year uh, for restaurants is Mother's Day because mothers work so stinking hard. There should be at least one day out of the year that they don't have to cook lunch. Amen? I remember last year uh, during COVID, uh, you know, the, nothing was open. And so for Mother's Day and Father's Day and Easter, uh, we tried a little thing called, called DoorDash. And we had meals delivered to the house, and so my wife didn't have to cook on Mother's Day. And so tonight, uh, Becky wants to just sit home, do nothing, and order Chinese food. And I am good with that. I'm excited about that. When I think about Mother's Day, um, I think about my mom. And uh, my mom uh, would... um, We'd always go to our family's house in New York City. Uh, we, li- we lived on Long Island. Our parents moved us out to Long Island. But every Thanksgiving, uh, we would get together, or any big holiday, and get together with uh, family and, and, uh, and share with uh, uncles and aunts and cousins. And my mom would always um, be invited to bring two things. My mom's uh, ye- yellow rice with beans and my mom's bread pudding. That's the two things that every uh, family holiday that we wanted, that we go to, she was asked to bring those things. And you know, for me, it just seems like it's rice and it's bread pudding. It's not that serious, right? But for my mom, this was a whole morning event, right? So I would, I, if I would get up early, I would see my mom at the at the dinner ta- at the uh, the dinner table in the kitchen just with a cup of coffee, some white toast, and either she had some some jam or she had this Heinz sandwich spread. And that's how she would start her day. Just quiet, like preparing, like LeBron James does before a game. Like, it would be funny to see my mom with, like, beats, you know, headset, just, you know, getting ready, like, busting out, getting ready for this. But she did it in quiet. She didn't even any hype music. She just kept it very quiet because she knew of the things that, that had to get done. And when my mom got to work on these things, I mean, it, it was like watching just like, uh, like, like, a, like a professional just get everything ready exactly the way that it was supposed to be. And if you know anything about Puerto Rican moms, there's no recipe, right? There's no measurements. There's just like, yeah, that. And then you put a little bit of that. No, nope, that needs more of that. And it always came out perfect. But one of the things that I remember just still to this day is the fact that before that my mom went to this task that everybody was waiting for something to happen and something great was going to come out, she spent a few moments in quiet, in solitude before the task. And we've been talking this week about, uh, this weekend, about what it means to be in solitude. And we've talked about solitude and decision making. We've spoken about solitude when it comes to experiencing grief and loss. And so today I want us to look at what it means to have solitude when it comes to service, when it comes to work, when it, when it comes to us doing things on a daily basis. And I've shared with you a little bit this weekend about how this is one of the struggles that I've had in my life is find, not only finding the time, but if I'm honest with you, to want to find the time to be in solitude. The way that, that, I'm, that, I'm, that I'm made up, I, I want to be busy. I want to be doing things. I don't want to just sit there and wait for God to speak. And if you're honest with yourself, there are times that you're the same way. We want to do. We don't want to hear. We want to work. We don't want to listen. And the problem is when you and I start working and doing before listening and hearing from God, we're as bad as Frank Sinatra. We did it our own way, right? 
And that's the worst type of person you could be as a self-made person. But to be molded and shaped by the Word of God and listening to the Word of God. I, I want Something I wanted to share with you before we get into the passage today in Mark chapter 1 is this. That when we talk about listening to God, I want you to understand what that means. We've been privileged since the end of the writing of the book of Revelation and for millennia for us to have a perfectly preserved, inspired, inerrant word of God. 66 books of the word of God that has been perfectly preserved throughout millennia has been preserved. It's still the number one best-selling book in the world. It's the only book that will change your life. And the thing that I want you to understand about that is that because we have the Bible, this is the way God speaks to us. He doesn't speak to you in a still, small voice without confirming what he said in the word of God. If you're hearing from God and it's not being confirmed in the word, you just had bad pizza last night. Okay? And, and, I, and I say that partly in jest, but I want you to understand because what I don't want you to get is for, for you guys to go in solitude without your Bible and try to hear from God. We speak to God through prayer. He speaks to us through his word. It's one of the main reasons why we have the comforter, the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit that indwells us and able to teach us and to mold us and to shape us and to correct us and to rebuke us from this book. And so when you're looking, when you're thinking about decisions, when you're trying to find comfort in grief and when you want to work and serve and do things for God and for your family, get your clearance from the Word of God not just what you think God is leading because you felt a certain way. The disciples did this. They were in the presence of Jesus, and they, and they felt a certain way. They had gut reactions to things, and they were in the presence of Jesus. But it wasn't until God spoke to them, God the Son said something to them, they knew exactly what they were supposed to do. The times that they didn't listen to the living word of God that was with them is when they messed up. And so it takes this practice of solitude and appropriating time for us to find this time alone in order for us to be able to really hear from God and his word. Last year was rough on a lot of families and it continues for some people, especially those of households where both people work. And one of the first things that we noticed during COVID was the fact that everything was turning now into Zoom meetings, right? People would work remotely and the companies, are, a lot of them are going to be doing that from now on. And it was interesting because you think work from home sounds like a dream job, right? But when you're forced to work from home while your kids are going to school at home all at the same time, that is just, a, there's, where are you going to find solitude in a house where everybody is doing something under the same roof? So we've seen statistically that in, in 2020, a lot of people who, who had these, uh, this freedom to be able to make their own schedule, do the things that they want to do, they didn't have that anymore. And, and spirituality and, and their life suffered because of it, their, their relationship with God, because now it was easier to say, I can't find time alone, so therefore I won't do it. Have you ever done that? Have you ever missed a day of devotions because it was just too busy, and then the next thing you know, it's three weeks later? But even in the midst of those things, you and I have to appropriate and, and use some ingenuity, use some use, get up earlier, go to bed later in order for these things to happen. 
It's the matter of your life progressing forward in your relationship with Jesus and making the right decisions and being, be, being able to, to uh, experience things like grief and loss, but also experiencing things like, like victory and moving on in your relationship with God. But it has to happen in these moments and times of solitude. So in Mark chapter 1, we see that Jesus is going to begin his public ministry. And what we notice right from the very beginning is that he is going to take time apart from everybody else to spend time with God in prayer. So I invite you to read with me in Mark chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 21, and we're going to go down to the end of the chapter. They went to Capernaum, and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. And they were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not like the scribes. Just then a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue. He cried out, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him saying, silent, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw him into convulsions, shouted with a loud voice and came out of him. They were all amazed. And so they began to, to ask each other, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him at once. The news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law Simon's mother was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. When evening came, after the sun had set, they brought him to all who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. Simon and his companions searched for him, and when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. Verse 39. He went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Then a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him, If you're willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him. Be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And then he sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet he went out and began to proclaim it widely to spread the news, with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly. But when he was out in deserted places... They came to him from everywhere. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Jesus, um, from the very beginning, 
knew what his mission was. The Son of Man was to seek and to save that which was lost, but he also was born to die for my sin and yours. He knew his timeline. He knew that there were certain things that were going to be accomplished, and he knew that there was going to come a day where his public ministry would end. And when we read the Gospels, uh, Matthew's Gospel is very Jewish in nature, very, very much talking about the law and the things that, that Jewish people would understand. When we look at Luke's Gospel, it's very detailed. The doctor wrote it, and it was wrote for, written by someone who would write it later on, in, 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 a little bit later in history. You look at John's gospel, and John immediately goes to the miracles. He goes to the divinity of Jesus Christ. And, and right in the middle of John's gospels, he'll, he'll preach at you, and he'll say things like this. These things I've written so that you would believe in the name of the Son of God. So like as you're reading it, he's saying, hey, let's take a pause here for a second, and let's have an altar call. Right? That's what he would do. But Mark's gospel is a little different. Mark's gospel is fast. Mark's gospel is the one where there, there's no talk of the birth. It's just like Jesus got going. And this is where part of those things happen. In Mark chapter 1, when we get to verse 21, it's right after he calls his disciples. He calls Simon and Andrew and James and John. They leave their fishing companies and they go and they follow him. This is right after that. And he says when they go to Capernaum, where they're all uh, living in, and, and basically this base of ministry, immediately this Sabbath day comes and Jesus does what? He begins to teach. And one of the things that you notice about Jesus immediately, if you saw him physically, was that when he taught, he taught as if he wrote the book. And it was interesting because the way that it's described, it's as if, hey, he taught, not like the scribes, who physically wrote the book. The scribes had the job of preserving it, right? They didn't have the cloud back then. Pages would wear out. Scribes would have to know what it said. And so all of a sudden, this man comes in who, who really, he's, like, he's, he's a carpenter from Nazareth. And it's funny because it doesn't, even the way that it's written in the original, it's not written to say like, you know, Jesus showed them all up. Jesus dropped the mic. That's not what it's like. It's basically like, man, this guy knows everything as if he's reading it in first person and it just amazed them and so this would happen and then so one day as he's as this is as this is going on on the sabbath this unclean spirit is inside of a man and this man is in the synagogue and and the spirit says something very interesting the spirit doesn't um say hey you know what stop having church or we're a demon ah no, they go straight to Jesus. They say, Jesus, and they're scared of the death of him. And they ask, you know, what's going to become of us? And then they say something very specifically. They say, we know who you are, the Holy One of God. But that really didn't get into the ears and minds of the of the listeners because as soon as jesus rebukes him he tells him to be quiet and come out of him and the spirit throws the guy into convulsions and he leaves them and they're all amazed and they literally say who is this guy this guy not only teaches he teaches with authority 
And Jesus shuts up the demon fast enough so that the demon doesn't keep saying who Jesus is. See, Jesus on his timeline knows when he wants to reveal himself as who he is, and it's not time for that yet. So he heals the man, but makes sure that it's not fully proclaimed yet. It's not time. You know, how do you and I know when it's the right time to do things? The Bible says there's a time and season for everything, right? There's a time to be happy. There's a time to be sad. There's a time to talk. There's a time to be quiet. And our ultimate example of when it's time to do the right thing is the Son of God. He knew who he was. He knew what his, what his mission was. He knew why he was sent here. Yet for three and a half years, he times it out on his timeline as to who is going to know what and when at, the, at, the, at all the same time preaching, us, preaching to us about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, people being healed, people being, being converted, people understanding who he is. You know, Jesus spent a lot of time with the Father. And when you spend a lot of time in solitude with the Father, he lets you know when it's time to do things. And sometimes you and I jump the gun and we have these visions and we have these uh, dreams and ideas of what God wants to do with our life and it's not time yet. For some of us, it's jumping the gun on our recovery. We get just enough of the word of God. We get clean enough. We get sober just enough to think, Okay, God gave me the jump start. I'm going to take it to the finish line. And what happens? You see, this practice, this spiritual discipline of solitude is not only for our safety. It's not only for our betterment. The practice of solitude is for us to be on the same timeline with our Savior. And so Jesus has cleansed this man of, of a demon. People are amazed. And the news continues to spread. As soon as they leave the synagogue, the Bible says they go to Simon and, and Andrew's house. And we see that Simon's mother-in-law is sick. And as soon as he hears about her being sick, he, he raises her back up. She's healed. And the Bible says Simon's mother-in-law begins to do what? Serve. What's interesting about the healing that God offers us is that it's complete. God doesn't heal you by just giving you a jump start and says, all right, you, you work on your, the rest of your healing. When Jesus heals you, when Jesus saves you, when Jesus calls you, those calls, that, that, that salvation is without repentance. When God calls you to something, when God heals you, he does it. Therefore, the Bible says he is able to completely save to the uttermost. There's nothing that you and I do to earn our salvation. There's nothing that you and I do to keep our salvation. And once we understand that truth about God's eternal security and God's sovereignty, this is what causes us to be able to listen to him further. 
The Bible says evening has come, the sunset, and all these people who were sick and demon-possessed were being brought to Jesus. The whole, the Bible says, the whole town is assembled at the door of Simon and Andrew's house, and he heals many people who were sick. There are various de diseases he talks about, and there are all these demons, but here's what he does. Jesus heals them quick enough so the demons don't go, hey, you're out. Oh my goodness, no, out. Man, Jesus not only controls the healing, he controls the process. That's why it's important when you and I say, one of my favorite phrases as well is, trust the process. Let's recognize who gave us the process. Okay? Because there are a lot of processes out there. We trust the one who saved us. We trust the one who keeps us saved. We trust the one who's going to bring us into a life that the Bible says is not just living, but, but, but not only just striving, but thriving, that you and I have an abundant life. We follow that process. And so Jesus continues to, to heal and to teach. And in verse 35, you pick it up with me. Here's, here's what I want us to talk about. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. I want us to break that down this morning quickly. What, what actually happens uh, during this, these moments when Jesus uh, is in solitude. You know, you're going to see throughout Jesus' history, as you read all four Gospels, this is characteristic of Jesus to leave the crowd, to go away to talk to his father, and then get back to work, right? To travel, to stop, to pray. Sometimes he spends all night praying, and then he starts up again. So for Jesus, this idea of solitude, and this is one of the things I wanted, I wanted to share with you before we leave for this weekend, is this. Solitude isn't something that you do only when everything else fails. See, that's what we do with our prayer life. That's what we do with our Bible reading. Sometimes, the, and if you're honest, the only times that you and I truly get into a mindset and a, and a mode of prayer and reading the Bible and possibly even fasting is when everything else doesn't work. And if we do the same thing with solitude, that solitude is just where we go when things are at our, our wit's end and everything is falling apart, that it's not solitude, it's just another 911 call to God. And God will be there for your emergencies, but God wants so much more for you, and he wants to tell you that when we have these moments alone with him. So solitude has to become not just a routine, a discipline in our life that we find time to be away so the place where jesus withdraws again this time it is translated in several different versions things like a lonely place or a desolate place and so one of them actually has the narrative when you look back to what happens in mark chapter 1 verses 12 to 13 where jesus is tempted by by satan right this place where he's taken to the wilderness, right? Sometimes the, the isolated place is called the wilderness. And so here's a question that's actually fair. Why in the world would Jesus go back to the place where he was tempted? Hmm. 
You see, there's a difference, and we started talking about it last night. There's a difference between isolation and solitude, okay? If Jesus went to a place of temptation on his own, he would be in isolation. But even when he was tempted by Satan himself, what did Jesus do when Satan said things? He would bring it back to the word of God, and he would also remind Satan that God the Father is with him. The difference between isolation and solitude, isolation, you're alone, solitude, you're with Jesus. So if you're just withdrawing yourself to to just withdraw, that's not solitude, that's escape. And people who are in this place of being in escape are people who are running in fear. When we understand what solitude is, we're running to the one who can rescue us. And so we're getting along alone with the one who can cause us to flourish. And so Jesus recognizes that when he's alone, he's not actually alone. He goes to a place in solitude to commune with the Father. So sometimes when you and I, this is where that, that whole thing about, you know, I can find God in trees, I can find God when I'm fishing, all that stuff's baloney. Because the point of solitude, it's not supposed to go, hey, I caught a bass. That's God. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. How does that, how does that really, like, factor out and you getting closer to God? I'm doing an activity that I enjoy, therefore I find God? No, that's not how it works. Your activity is supposed to be God. Your focus is supposed to be Him. We don't go on a retreat for retreat's sake. We go on a retreat to get closer to God. There has to be a purpose to this solitude. And for Jesus, the Bible says, when we're looking at at Mark chapter 1, it says that that he, he leaves. And he goes out and he goes and he was there praying. The first phrase says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark. This appropriation of finding time to get into solitude does take practice and it does take sacrifice. It does take work. Very early in the morning, why is that? Well, because did you notice that the crowds were always following him? You're going to see it in a second. They're going to say, people are looking for you. Early in the morning, people are wanting to be healed. I mean, if, if you found the one who can give you salvation, wouldn't you be fine trying to find him every moment of the day? And once you saw what he was able to do, how he was able to offer, to forgive sins and to take away these, these, uh, these spirits and, and to heal people, wouldn't you want to be with this person all the time? And so Jesus had to get up very early in the morning while everyone else was still sleeping and it was still dark in order for him to find solitude. Moms, you know exactly what we're talking about. Kids got school, whether they're back in school, whether they're on Zoom, it's the days get earlier and earlier, right? And the free time gets shorter and shorter. And so it gets harder and harder to find these, these moments of solitude, but it still is important for us to practice the discipline. The Bible says it was dark, he went, he went out, and made his way to a deserted place. So I want to ask you as we close up this weekend, what is going to be that place of solitude for you?
What is that time going to be? What is the location going to be? And what time are you going to set aside for this? If you don't have a plan, you just really have a wish. And if we're not going to plan to spend solitude and spend time alone with our Savior, don't expect it to happen. I think one of the, the, um, the most illogical prayers that we can pray that really makes no sense at all is when we tell God, God, if you really want this to happen for me, you're going to find the time for me. But the funny thing is, in our most illogical prayers, God answers us and he shows us all the time that we have. But sometimes, you know what God does to show us the time that we have? He lets us get sick. He lets us have an injury. He takes away things in order for us to realize he's all that we ever needed in the first place. Sometimes God gives you that place in solitary, but a lot of times it's in confinement. So our, our, my prayer for you is that we find solitude before God has to find it for you. He was praying. What is your communication with God like today? What is your prayer life like? What is your Bible reading like? Right now, if you were honest, would you say that this is some of the best times of having a communicative relationship with Jesus? Or is this one of your lowest times? Would you say that there were times that you did have a closer walk with Jesus than you do right now? My prayer for you is that you regain that time of solitude. You know, every moment that you and I realized that there was a time in our life where we were closer to God than we are right now, that is a moment of repentance for us. And you may say, it was easier back then. It was easier when I was at the colony. It was easier. All the, it, was, it was with us all day. God has moved you. God has given you victory over some of, the, the, some of the hardest things you've ever gone through in your life. Do you think he moved you from where you were to where you are so that you can spend less time with him? Solitude was built for us to serve. Solitude was built for us to not only have a closer walk with Jesus but to be able to show others the same thing. Some, I know that a lot of us, if not all of us, our prayer and our desire is that as we move through our steps of recovery, as we get closer to Jesus, as we, as we keep counting the years of sobriety and, 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 and clean dates, as we continue this going on and forward and forward, I know it's our desire to help other people have the same experience that we did getting closer to Jesus. If that ever is going to happen, it has to start with us. If we don't have spiritual disciplines down like solitude and spending time alone with God, if we don't do that for ourselves, we will never be in the this, in this state or shape to teach others to do the same thing. 
Jesus taught his disciples this principle. A lot of times they didn't get it. Why is he staying up all night? Why is he praying? Why is he doing all these things? But when, when Jesus went back up into heaven and these men were sent out around the world in order to preach the gospel, uh, many of them dying for their faith, you read about the times that they spent praying. Paul's time in solitude, being in the and in, 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 in being under house arrest, allowed him to write most of the New Testament. What could God do through you if we would really grasp this concept of solitude? Father, I thank you for our weekend together. I thank you for the time that we can spend in your word learning about how we can have a deeper and closer walk with you. I thank you, Lord, for these men and women and these families who have come to the colony in Barbara's place and have found a place of retreat, a place of refuge, a place of solitude in order for you to, to move and shake. Lord, we thank you for moving through history, moving through court dates, moving through illnesses, moving through uh, family issues, moving through calendars in order to see people come to know you as Lord and Savior and to live a victorious Christian life. Lord, I pray that it wouldn't end with us. I pray that you would allow us to embrace disciplines like solitude, spending time alone with God in order to hear from him and that we'd be able to make better decisions, that we'd be able to have victory in moments of grief and loss, but that we would use solitude as a way to help us to focus Help us to be re-energized and help us to be centered so that we can serve. God, I thank you for our dear family. I thank you for how you've used this ministry to have this family expand and grow. Lord, I pray you help us to be the lighthouses that we need to be. God, I thank you for this time in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Well...